in this episode of Euctropolis, a forgotten pair of chord twins, plus the difference between good pain and bad pain, and how a chord can be A minor 7 and C6 at the same time. Welcome back to the Euctropolis podcast for more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions. These are all questions posted by students at euctropolis.com, and that's where you'll find a library of unique online ukulele courses like Booster Uke and the Ukulele Way, and even the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. I'm your host, James Hill. This week, we're going to focus on questions from Booster Uke. Booster Uke is the most popular course on Uketropolis.com. Booster Uke is all about one thing, and that is going beyond beginner in just 10 lessons. And the way we're able to do that together is by taking advantage of chord twins. Chord twins is is an incredible, amazing, kind of mind-blowing fretboard phenomenon where you can make two chords for the price of one. So you have a chord like this, B7, and then you just take those same fingers in the same configuration, you move them down toward the floor, and you get another chord. And not just any old chord, but a chord that is strongly related to the chord you started on. And by by exploring these chord twin pairs, and by learning music that uses these harmonies, we're able to go very quickly um, beyond the kind of average beginner songs uh, and into um, jazz and gospel and blues and Hawaiian music much more quickly than if you started on a more conventional path where you learn C and then you learn maybe F and G7. Not only are you working harder when you when you learn that sequence of chords, you're not able to access the same uh, variety of repertoire. So enough of a sales pitch for Booster Uke, but I just wanted to give you a sense of where these questions are coming from. Our first question is from David, who's worked all the way through these lessons, has finished the quiz at the end, and is now looking back. And he says, hi, James, great idea to provide this passage around the CFG7 doldrums with chord twins that move up the neck and invoke Hawaiian blues and jazz idioms. He says, but what about the G major 7 and D major chords? That pair seems like twins to me too. G major 7, D major. I'll tell you right now, David, you are absolutely right. Those two chords do form a twin pair because they use the same chord shape and they have this tonic dominant relationship that all of the chord twins in the book have. Now, if you're not quite following that, let me go back a step. G major 7 is a wonderful chord. 
This is one of my favorites. You put your first finger almost all the way across on the second fret. You cover the first string, the second string, and the third string, but you leave the fourth string open. You don't touch that one. The fourth string is the one closest to your face. So the frets from the ceiling down to the floor would be zero, two, two, two. And that chord right there Just kind of like an expensive sounding version of G. It's a beautiful chord and it's used all over the place, in, in particular in jazz. So if you take those three fret positions and then you just bump the whole thing over toward the ceiling by one string, you're going to get a D chord. Not only is that another nice sounding chord, it also happens to be the dominant chord, the five chord of G major seven, where we started. So David, you're absolutely right. These chords are twins. And I have a little confession to make, and that is I didn't even notice that I had left these twins out of Booster Uke until after it was published. Honestly, I, I, I was sitting around with um, Jim Biloff, my good friend Jim Biloff, who's done more for the third wave of the ukulele's popularity than pretty much anyone. He's been an amazing force in promoting the ukulele and, and doing creative work and bringing music to so many people. Now, we were sitting around talking about music and sharing ideas, and I was showing him some of what I'd done with Booster Uke, and he said the same thing that you've said, David. He said, well, what about G major 7 and D major? And I realized at that point that I had overlooked those two. And ever since that day, I've always thought of those twins as the Beloff twins. I like to name things. It just works for me. So those, in my mind, have always been the Beloff twins. Not only because I kind of realized that I'd forgotten about them while I was talking to Jim, but also because that G major 7 in particular is just the kind of chord that Jim would use in one of his beautiful uh, songs that he writes. you got to check out Jim's uh, songwriting. It's really wonderful, beautifully crafted stuff. And he loves those kind of sounds, so it just made sense to call them the Beloff Twins. But let's just have a closer look at those two chords uh, before we move on. I guess maybe I'm trying to make up for the fact that they're not in the books. And maybe justify it a little bit. So, number one, in Booster U, we already have G6 and D7, which I called the Hawaiian Twins, because they're just so common. Uh, in Hawaiian music, and they really help to define that Hawaiian sound. Beautiful, beautiful chords. Those are already pretty prominent in Booster Uke. And so I felt, I guess, that uh, another pair in the key of G wasn't really necessary. I also don't really love the way that it starts out with G major 7, 
And that is such a rich, uh, just luxurious sounding chord uh, with that major seven in there. And then it goes over to D. Just plain old D. Nothing extra, no sprinkles, no chocolate sauce, no butterscotch ripple, just D. And there's nothing wrong with sort of plain chords like that that have no numbers in their name. Nothing wrong with them at all. But it feels strange to mix and match uh, a chord that is very rich and, uh, and, and has sort of a more texture and dissonance to it with a chord that is very plain. Especially on the dominant chord where you'd expect to have a seven and a little bit more personality to that chord. So I think the Beloft Twins to me are just sonically a little mismatched. And so maybe that's another reason why I um, I, I didn't really find a home for them in Booster Uke. And maybe I'm just trying to justify the fact that I sort of forgot about them. Our next question comes from Itzel, who's working on lesson three from Booster Uke, the Jazzy Twins. And the question is, is it normal that it hurts while trying to change between these two chords? I've been trying to support the neck of the ukulele with my index finger of my left hand while playing, but it just feels unnatural. Is it because I've never played a string instrument before? And is this just something my hand has to get used to? Or am I doing something wrong? Well, that's a great question. And we get this question a lot. Am I holding the ukulele right? If it hurts, am I doing it wrong? It's a hard question to answer because I can't see exactly what you're doing. Because there's pain and there's pain. You know, there's, there's the pain that you feel when you first start out ukulele and you've never held those strings down for more than a few seconds and you get lines in your, the tips of your fingers and your fingers start to hurt and maybe you get a blister. You know, and those are kind of growing pains. Those are the kinds of pains that you eventually overcome as your fingers get stronger and your skin gets thicker and you know your your uh, threshold for certain kinds of pain gets higher but then there's the kind of pain that's like shooting pain uh, or that's nerve pain and those kinds of pains are more dangerous the rule of thumb of course is if it hurts take a break stop come back to it later and see if the pain is still there and one thing that's really common with um, with beginners is that they just hold on too tight. They're fearful of doing it wrong, and you just have to kind of relax. And I know that's easy to say. It's easy to say relax when you know you've been playing for thirty years. 
It's like when I go down to the skate park and I look at those skateboarders and scooter riders and BMX bikers, my son, who's super interested in that. And they're so relaxed. When I get on the scooter to try to keep up with him, I'm so tense. I'm holding on for dear life. I'm just white knuckling it. And I know I'm supposed to relax. I just can't. And I think it's like that with beginning ukulele players. They may know that they're holding on too hard. They might know that it's better to relax, but they just can't. One thing that I can say right now is that you might want to just look at how you're transitioning between chords. A lot of beginners think that there is no breathing room between chords. That one chord has to move instantaneously to another. That the fingers somehow have to jump all at the same time. And that's just not true. If you look closely at anybody who's an experienced player, you'll probably see that one finger moves before the others and leads the way. And I talk about this later on in in Booster Uke, but I'll just give you a preview now. And that is the concept of the guide finger can really save you a lot of trouble. The guide finger is usually the index finger. And the rule is if the index finger finds its place in the next chord, then the other fingers will probably follow without too much too much extra effort. But if you are trying to get all the fingers in place simultaneously, you're trying to focus on all of those movements simultaneously, it can be overwhelming for your brain and for your fingers. If you simplify, you just focus on one thing, and that is the journey that the index finger has to make from the chord you're on to the chord you're going to. You just focus on that index finger. The other fingers, most of the time, are going to find their way there. The index finger is the scout. It goes ahead of the pack. It scopes out the new territory. And when the coast is clear, it calls in the other fingers. Now, that all happens very quickly for advanced players and for experienced players. And and it looks very smooth. It looks like all the fingers are moving at the same time. But if you look real closely, if you slow it right down, I think you'll find that most players use this guide finger principle, and you can too. And I think it will make your playing more fluid and take some of that tension uh, out of your um, out of your hand as you make transitions between chords. One other thing you can check out is this free tutorial that I made and posted on YouTube. It's called How Not to Hold Your Ukulele. Just search for How Not to Hold Your Ukulele. There are some key points in that video about things I do to make it easier to to hold the instrument and especially to move around the neck without using a strap um, in a way that... um, that allows you to fluidly transition between chords and uh, not drop the ukulele in the process. So check that out, how not to hold your ukulele.
Our last question for today is from Linda, who's working on Lesson 5, The Minor Twins, Part 1. Great twins. I would say these are maybe the most versatile two chords on the entire fretboard. But anyway, check it out for yourself and see if you agree. The Minor Twins. And her question is, is A minor 7 the same as C6, both are played with the open strings? Question mark. Well, Linda, you've stumbled across one of the great ukulele mysteries, and that is, why is A minor seven played the same way as C6? Why? Why are those two chords played in the same way, and moreover, using just the open strings? A minor seven, C6. The other enduring mystery of the ukulele, by the way, is why there's so many references to fleas. Like ukulele is Hawaiian for jumping flea. And when we tune the ukulele, we sometimes think, my dog has fleas. And I don't know if there's any historical connection between ukulele jumping flea and my dog has fleas. But if there isn't a connection, that would just be a really cosmic coincidence that (laughs) just blows my mind. Anyway, getting back to the first great ukulele mystery, why is A minor 7 the same as C6? Well, the four notes that we have as open strings can be thought of in a number of different ways. And the problem with ukulele players is that we don't often think about what's happening in the bass. We don't think about the left hand of the piano. We don't think about the cello in the room. We don't think about the double bass in the room because we're really obsessed with what is happening on the higher end of things. We love these kinds of sounds. You know, that's our world. And we forget that the lowest note in the room has an awful lot of influence over the way that the brain, really, is going to interpret a cluster of three or four notes. The brain doesn't really know which note is the root note of that chord until it gets that cue from the lowest note in the room. So let me demonstrate, because that all sounds very technical or sort of theoretical. Let me show you what I mean. I'm just going to strum the open strings of the ukulele and I'm going to sing a C note. C. Now my voice is the bass. My voice is the lowest note in the room. C. Do, re, mi, fa, so, fa, mi, re, do. And that feels like home. And this now feels like a major chord called C6. Good. No problem. I don't think any argument there. But what if I change that bass note to something like A? Like A. Now that chord has a different kind of a feeling to it. It sounds like a minor chord, in fact. La-dee-da-dee-da-da-dee. 
sounds like an A minor 7 chord. A minor 7 because it's got four notes in it, not just three, like an A minor chord. And so you can hear already that that lowest note in the room has an awful lot of influence over how we interpret those notes. There are other interpretations of these four notes as well. Uh, for example, if I were to sing a D, that actually gives me a D9 sus4 chord. And what if I sing an F? I get a really beautiful F major 9 chord. And it still sounds a little abstract, doesn't it? It's, I mean, you're still sitting there. I know you're sitting there with the headphones on or you're sitting there in the car listening to this podcast and going, I don't know. This feels like a stretch to me. And partly it feels like a stretch because you haven't heard these things in context yet. You haven't heard them surrounded by other chords in their key. So what I'm going to do uh, to finish out this episode is I'm, I'm going to just try a little magic trick here. I'm going to play some chords leading up to this open string chord. And each time I arrive on this open string chord, it's going to be called something different. Could be C6, could be A minor 7, could be F major 9, could be D9 sus4, whatever. It's going to have a different name every time we come back to it. But more importantly, it's really going to feel different. And hopefully, for the first time, you will feel what an impact the bass note has and the context of the music has. So, let's try. If I was to go D minor to G7 and C6, all the open strings of the ukulele, I get something that sounds just like a major chord, do, re, mi, fa, so, fa, mi, re, do. But here's a new context. And then down to A minor 7. That's all the open strings again right there. Little diminished chord to an E7, and then down to A minor 7. La -dee -da -dee -dum. That feels quite different. What about this one? G minor 7 to C7, and F major 9, F major 9 to 5. hearing that open string chord in that example in three different ways three different angles into those four notes which are just four notes hanging in space hanging in the void until we ground them with a bass note and place them in a context that's why this happens so often on the ukulele you'll have a chord that you thought you knew hey i recognize that chord why does G6 come up with the name E minor 7? What gives? Well, it's the same phenomenon where these four notes that you're playing are just, just notes. 
they don't they they don't have a name attached to them right out of the gate. It's not until we hear them in the context of the music and we hear that bass note that finally the ear and the brain can interpret what those notes actually mean in musical terms. And this is something that uh, seems overwhelming and weird at first, but amazingly, you kind of get used to it. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you will get used to it as things go along. L- Linda, I hope that's useful to you. This is still an amazing mystery uh, to appreciate and enjoy and uh, investigate for yourself. But hopefully I've given you some ideas and uh, set you on a path to uh, discover more about that musical mystery. Thanks for a great question. And thank you for stopping by and tuning in to the Euctropolis podcast. Come back next week for more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions from students at euctropolis.com. And in the meantime, stop by euctropolis.com and check out our online ukulele courses like Booster Uke that we talked about here in this episode. There's also Ready Steady Ukulele, a $1 course for absolute beginners. There's also The Ukulele Way, which is for anyone interested in the art and science of chord melody, how to play all the parts at the same time on one ukulele. We even have Ukulele X, which is a journey into extreme ukulele, the outer limits of what's possible on this instrument. Or if you're a teacher, check out the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. My name's James Hill. I'm your host here and at euctropolis.com. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, keep on strumming.